As we continue on in our series, Transformations, we've been looking at all of the changes that have been happening in our culture due to the cultural reset and all of the accelerated disruptions that have been going on in our world. And we've been asking ourselves the question of how do we live as God's people in the world in which we find ourselves in? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that we are to have minds that are renewed by God's truth. And as we do that, we will be able to interpret the world around us to understand uh, what we should not conform to in terms of its beliefs and its behaviors. But rather, as we submit our lives unto God, we will discover his good and acceptable and pleasing will for our lives. As Christians, we are to take a look at the big picture around us the world around us, and to understand what is our place in it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that we can be good interpreters of everything but the truth. We can be good interpreters of the cultural sky, the environment around us in terms of politics, economics, social media, uh, music, and everything that's going on around us, but we can miss interpreting the truth of what God wants us to do and to be amidst that culture. And that's why Jesus said, We are to be interpreters of the sign of the times. What does Jesus require of us as his followers in the times in which we live in? And so in our series, Transformations, we've been looking at different topics that are happening in our culture and exploring the dialogue behind them. A few weeks ago, we looked at the transformation of digital money and how God's people are not to idolize money, but to use it faithfully as a stewardship unto God. We then looked at the transformation of the family and how in today's culture, family is defined in any way, which way, and how God's people are to hold fast to God's original design for the family, a man, a woman, children, and to live a godly life as a family. And last week, we looked at the transformational conversation that's happening in our environment, that God has a wider goal for his people rather than to just reuse, recycle, and reduce their waste. But rather, we can see the wider gospel narrative, the wider narrative of creation, the fall because of man's sin that uh, transferred itself onto all of creation as well as in his soul. And how God has redeemed not only man, but all of creation's groans for God to restore it. And he will uh, at the very end of human history and the culmination of our times. And so today we're going to look at the topic of the transformation of community. Uh, What is the conversation on uh, our ideas and our experience of community? And what role does the church play in community among God's people? I think this topic is extremely important for us here today because many of us, we have a sense of anxiety at our loss of community. And we've had to uh, adjust and really be uh, resigned to new definitions of often abnormal community. It's almost like being in a museum where there's a painting of a community of people who knew each other and did life together and how far removed that is for so many of us today uh, who just communicate digitally. And I think this topic of community is very important because we need to reflect on God's design for human community within the context of his church. And so what we want to do today is three things. First, we want to take a brief look at God's original design for human beings to be in community with him 
as well as others. Second, we want to um, look at the dialogue of, of what's happening in different forms of man-made community and its attempt to reestablish what was lost in the fall. And thirdly, I want to look at a few scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthian church about how God's people are brought together by the Spirit and created the body of Christ for the glory of God, and that is called the church. And so let's take a look briefly at uh, what the, God's original design for community was. Uh, when you begin at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God created man and he created woman, Genesis 1 says, and man and woman were created in God's own image, and they were created for God and for each other. In fact, it says in Genesis 1 that God said, let us make God in our image. That's the plural, us, our. That means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, us, our, was creating man and woman in their image. And so God created man and woman in community for him and for each other. And uh, there was an original design that we would live in harmony with God and we would live in harmony with other human beings. And then there was the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Sin and disobedience entered into the world through Adam and Eve. And as a result of that, God cursed Satan. He cursed the woman and he cursed the man. And men and women were now at war with one another in their hearts. And what entered into the human race because of that original fall in Genesis 3 was human beings now had murder in their hearts. They had lies in their hearts. They had hatred in their hearts. They had sexual deviant behavior in their hearts. And uh, we were never quite the same after that, were we? And we all inherited that across time and space. But even though we are fallen in our hearts towards God and towards each other, We still have the original image of God within us. It's broken. It's beyond repair outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we still have a longing for community with God, a longing for community with other human beings. Uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, but they cannot understand it. There is a sense that God has placed within every single person this desire to live eternally, to know that there is life in eternity, and to want to live with God, and to want to live with those that we can love and love us through God. And there is this desire that we all have for community. And man went on to attempt to reconstruct human community outside of God. In Genesis chapter 11, man Uh, disobeys God in his command to be fruitful and multiply and scatter throughout the entire earth. And so he gathers together and builds the Tower of Babel, trying to reach up into the heavens. And God looked down upon that and said, if this is what they are attempting to do, nothing will be impossible in their hearts. And he scattered people. And it was this attempt to build human community outside of God, which was broken at best and defiling at worst. And we will see examples of that later on. And even in ancient times of Israel, uh, when you were growing up in Israel, there was a sense that there was community. And everything in your life was to reinforce community. 
Uh, Israel had their traditions to reinforce community. They had their history and their narrative of where they came from as a people to uh, encourage community. They had the law that was given to them by God through Moses to encourage community. They had family to encourage community. If your grandfather and your father was a carpenter, probably you'll be a carpenter. And so everything around them in Jewish culture was to foster a sense of community. And, um, and we've lost that in the modern day. We have a sense of we're trying to build this modern day Tower of Babel, of uh, man-made community. And sometimes it's helpful, but it never quite gets us to the place that God wants us to be. And I want to make a few reflections on uh, what community looks like for us today. We have lost community. We have lost community. And that was even before the coronavirus, which exacerbated our loss of community with one another and our social distancing and our masking uh, that just thwarts human interaction and community for so many of us here in Los Angeles. And even before that, there was a, an enormous conversation about the loss of community in the urban jungle or the suburban silos. There was a conversation of the loss of community in, in today's adolescents that feel like they've been abandoned by their parents or abandoned by society. There was a conversation on the loss of community um, with a sense of we can, just can't meet anyone to marry uh, naturally. So uh, online dating seems to be one of the only and best ways to actually meet people because we don't have a community or a town of people in which we can be meeting people um, to find out if they're the ones that God has for us. So there's been a loss of community that many of us have been going through just as a way of life. Community is virtual, and that is not just uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, and LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, during the coronavirus, we've taken kind of the next step of virtual community where we have Zoom now. We don't have to travel as much. We don't have to meet in person as much. We can just kind of Zoom these meetings. And we don't like it. There's Zoom fatigue. Uh, but there is a sense that many people have adopted in the next phase virtual community. And even further into the future, we will find uh, virtual communities more rapidly embraced in the um, augmented reality and virtual reality and online gaming space. And this is what um, this is what those who in the world of technology are hoping that that will become in augmented reality and virtual reality. It will, it will become the third space. The third space is after. Uh, you spend your time at home after you spend your time at work. Where do you spend the rest of your time? Starbucks wanted to be the third pay place where you would uh, hang out. Virtual reality and augmented reality are vying to become the third space in our lives. There is a sense that people today want community because they want to affect change in today's world. The whole conversation, a lot of the conversation with um, the Robin Hood investors or Wall Street bets was to come together in this virtual community and to make money through investments, yes, but also to stick it to the man as a community and, and come together. And there's this uh, incredible sense of camaraderie that has developed in uh, the stock market over the past month or so. Even the Bitcoin community is it's an entire community that sees itself as a mission to take down 
um, centralized finance that has been devalued uh, rapidly over the past few years and replace it with a digital form of uh, decentralized finance. But there is a sense that people are joining these communities to affect change in today's world. And then there is broken community. And we see that between the division between red and blue in our identity politics, people finding their identity in their political party and the stances of what it stands for, believing that that is the best community to affect change in our world. Uh, this week I was online and there's just a video that came up on my YouTube feed. It was a teenager who was confessing their sins. Uh, they couldn't have been more than about 15 years old. And they're just confessing uh, just their life, their brokenness to the world. I think there was like hundreds of thousands of views. I watched like a couple minutes and I just turned it off. And this sense of broken community, that we have a sense that we have to confess uh, the darker parts of ourselves to the world around us, even to strangers, uh, probably not a good idea. This week, I was invited to join Clubhouse, this new uh, kind of online uh, social media uh, kind of gathering where people talk about you know, various topics. And I didn't really know how it worked, but I joined and I just went into the first chat room that kind of came up on my search. And it was called Asian American Happy Hour. And so I just kind of joined it. I thought, well, I'm Asian. I'll just see what they're talking about. And um, the different people were talking about their experiences and what they're doing with their life and, and so forth. And it was just some of the most vile conversations I've heard. And um, I actually got invited to speak after a minute or two. And uh, I was actually going to go speak and say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm a pastor. And I'd actually like to share God's perspective on, um, on, on how our sexuality can honor him. Uh, but then I chose to leave before that. But I think that um, there is a sense that community is broken. And lastly, we see individualistic community within our culture. People are asking to, today within the church, do I really need to physically be part of a church? Can't I just do it virtually? People are asking, what's wrong with me just kind of doing my spirituality on my own? Is there a real benefit to myself or to others if I'm actually there? Or can I just do my own spirituality on my own or all online? And even people outside the church uh, are looking at their spirituality and saying, I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not into organized religion. Why do I even have to be a part of it? And the question we want to ask this morning is, what is God's original design for community? What is his original intention through Jesus Christ? Uh, in Genesis, that original intention through creation and then the fall was broken. And so now what is his original intention through the church that Jesus has brought together through the body of Christ? And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 26. And we're going to go ahead and read that passage together. Uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth where he did ministry for uh, several years. And this was a church that was made up of Jew and Gentile, wise and foolish. It was a church that was full of divisions that were following Peter or Apollos or, had a, or, or, um, or Paul. And there was a lot of rampant sin. They were... Uh, 
sexually immoral, some of them. They were suing one another. They were taking advantage of one another, violating each other's consciences. And their worship services were just chaotic and a mess. And so Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, this is what uh, community should look like. This is, we are all part of the body of Christ. Just as the body has different parts to it that are necessary, you are all necessary in the body of Christ. And for the body of Christ to be working properly, uh, we must all be a part of it. We all have something to gain and to contribute because we are all brought together in one baptism through Jesus Christ and his spirit. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 26. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would there be a sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it were, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our, un and our, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there are, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, Lorraine and I got a chance to visit Corinth uh, about two years ago on a tour of the Apostle Paul's um, journey uh, throughout the book of Acts. And uh, we visited Corinth, and at Corinth today, there is a small museum where they have artifacts from the time uh, of the Apostle Paul, and there's different body parts that are in the museum, like an arm, a leg, uh, a head, private parts, all these parts of the body that people made, and what they would do is they would take these body parts, and they would bring it to their spiritual, mystic uh, doctors, and they would say, hey, this part, my arm hurts. Or my leg hurts, so I've made this this uh, the sculpture 
piece of my arm or my leg, and will you do something magical over it so that my arm or leg can be healed? And that's what the Corinthians would do. They had, they had a focus on the body, and they connected to the body to their own pagan spiritualism. And so Paul is speaking in that context, and he's saying we are all the body of Christ, and we are all necessary. And what I want to do is raise four reflections, four spiritual dynamics of what happens in the body of Christ when we come together in community. How are we transformed into the type of community that God wants and what is true about us? So number one, um, when you come into community in the church, you discover the unique spiritual work that God has for you. We are transformed as a people when we come into community in the church, when we find the unique spiritual work that God has for each one of us. Again, verse 7 from chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says that we have all been given the Spirit of God. A manifestation, phanerosis. Phanerosis in the Greek means to a manifestation, an exhibition, an expression of the Spirit when we come together. And I think that's a beautiful thing in our church when people come together and they start serving one another. Paul uh, had said earlier on that we all have different gifts, and there's a lot in there. There's uh, teaching gifts, serving gifts, and you combine 1 Corinthians 12 with Romans chapter 12 and uh, and 1 Peter and you find that there's all of these different gifts that God has given to the body. Spiritual gifts are given to every single believer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift, maybe more. And spiritual gifts allow you to serve at supernatural speed, with supernatural power, as God has given you uh, a gift or spiritual gifts to do his work, to build his kingdom and uh, through his power. Spiritual gifts give life to you and to others as we serve out of them. Some of you are very good at teaching because you are gifted in teaching. Some of you are very good at uh, encouraging others because uh, you have the gift of encouragement. Some of you um, just love to serve people because you have the gift of serving. Some of you have extraordinary faith to believe. Uh, It's not just because you exercise faith and you live by faith. It's because you have the gift of faith. And there are many gifts here um, the Apostle Paul talks about some sign gifts and some miracles and healings that we won't get into. That's a whole other conversation today. But the main point is that we've all been given a gift. What is your spiritual gift? Are you serving out of it? Are you discovering God's unique work? Because I believe that when we serve according to God's gifting, um, there is fruit in our lives and there is fruit in the church. And uh, I think about uh, many of the women in our church who has started a, a women's discipleship uh, mentoring uh, ministry where there's a lot of women that have signed up. Women are discipling other women one-on-one for this next season, next few months. And many of the women that are part of it have the gift of teaching. They have the gift of exhortation. They have the gift of, of service. And you're seeing the beauty of that happen um, as they have begun that and the fruit that's come of that. I think about... Uh, the men and women who serve here on Sunday mornings here in downtown LA, uh, people like David, Nathan, Sheldon, uh, the Chamberlain and the Twazon kids, and how 
they're serving to set up the service and to make sure everything's safe. And it's a beautiful thing to see them serving and, and many of them serving out of their gifting of service. I think of other people like Nate and Bethany who are going to be starting up their own worship team and, uh, and how they're serving the body of Christ and how beautiful that is. I think of people like Marcus who does all of the uh, graphic work for our church and uh, just how amazing and what a blessing that has been. Or James who does the uh, music for our church and in the videos or Bonnie who does video editing for our church and how they're serving in an amazing way. Um, I think of people like both of the Matts in our community, as well as Jessica and Jay, who are on our global missions team, um, guiding us for world missions uh, this later this year and into next year. I think of people like David and Kevin who and others who have stepped up to be small group leaders. And all of this happens in community with God's people as we discover our gifting, as we understand that we have been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, verse 7. And so let God use you to bless others with the common good of the Spirit. And that can only be found in the context of the church, truly. Second uh, is to understand we are saved for community. We are saved for God's community in the church. We are not saved by community. Um, we are God uses the church, but we, it's not like God is saying that we have to be in a church in order to be saved, although we are saved for community. The moment you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you became part of the body of Christ. And as Paul has said in this passage, the body cannot function properly without all its members coming together and in connected in relationship. And again, in verse 12 and verse 13 from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul connects the salvation experience, to community. He says we were all baptized into one body by the Spirit. We all drank, metaphorically, of one Spirit. And, uh, you know, the family that you were born into, you didn't get to choose. Um, the friends that you are around, um, you have chosen to be around. That's another form of community. There are some groups that you end up joining because you just have a common interest but the church is the one community that is talked about in the Bible that is directly connected to salvation. That when we were saved by Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit took residence in us, there was a direct connection between that salvation experience and not necessarily our birth family, not necessarily our friends, some of which are believers, believers and some of which are not, not necessarily the hobbies and the groups that we join, but there's a direct connection to the church of Jesus Christ. And so we were saved for the community of the church. And our gathering as the church is a testament to the reality of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? When you're not here, when you're not part of the church, the testimony to Jesus Christ, to 
him being alive, him being resurrected, the, the testimony to him being offering hope and love and faith and righteousness and life to people, when you're not actively a part of the body of Christ, that testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ is diminished. And the church needs to recognize that our presence is critical to that testimony. We are one spirit because when we come in community in the church, we are sanctified. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are sanctified through the community of the church. We are sanctified to become more like Christ and to love other people. And the relationships that were broken at the fall are restored through Jesus and him bringing us back into his body, the church. And so it's very important. Third, uh, we are sanctified from our sinful and broken views of others when we come into community in the church. God sanctifies our sinful views of ourselves and others when we become part of a church community and choose not to live isolated lives, but to actually participate in the body of Christ. Uh, again, in verse uh, 14 and 20, the Apostle Paul, uh, through 20, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, the sin of thinking that you're not worth anything. You're not worth anything uh, of value to God. In verse 14 through 20, uh, the Apostle Paul says, the foot can't turn to the hand and say, um, I do not belong to the body. Um, and the ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Paul says, you don't want a whole body of ears or eyes um, or, or anything else that's terrible, right? Uh, but he says that God has arranged the members of the body, each one of us, as he chose and that reminds us that some of you, you come into church and you look at yourself and you say, I'm, I'm worthless. Um, I, I don't have value. Um, I don't, my body doesn't look right. Um, I'm awkward around people. I um, haven't accomplished much in the past. I don't know what my future will look like. I look at other people, they have more. I wish I could be that other person. I wish I could change my past. I wish uh, I just had a different life. I was a different me because I don't necessarily like the me that I am. And uh, some of us, we, we aren't able to see the incredible value that we have um, in God's eyes. And we think that um, the body of Christ does not need us. But the community of the church also sanctifies us from an, another uh, sinful and broken attitude where maybe some of us don't look at ourselves and say we're not worthy or we say that, but uh, we, don't, we look at ourselves and we say, you know, I'm better. I don't need the church. I don't need you guys. Or we, we are part of the church and we start comparing ourselves to other people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 through 25, this is what Paul talks about. He says a second sin where people can come into church and say, I have no need of you. Um, the head can't turn to the feet and say, I don't need you. Or other parts of the body that are weaker and indispensable cannot be looked at by the stronger parts and or more flashier parts and say, I don't need you. No, we all need each other. And the, like the different parts of our body needs each other. 
And so you don't want to be in the opposite place where you start looking at other people and say, you know what, I know more than you. Um, I'm living a holier life than you. I've ascended to this kind of Christian um, level above you. And so um, I esteem myself better than you instead of esteeming you better than myself. And so when you step into community and in a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled community where people are serving out of a servant's heart and the community is serving out of their giftings, God heals you. He heals you of bad attitudes towards yourself that you need to let go of and to see yourself as God sees you in Christ Jesus. And he heals you of seeing yourself too highly as well outside of Jesus Christ. That's very, very important. You are needed here. You are needed here in the church, but you are not the focus of the church. You are needed by the church, but no one person should ever be the focus of the church. And fourthly, today, uh, in community, we are blessed because we find a spiritual community that suffers with those who suffer and celebrates with those who celebrates. We help the suffering and we rejoice with those who are celebrating. Um, some of you, we, we suffer, right? And, and whenever we're going through a difficult time, the last thing we want is to be around people who uh, will run from us when we need help. The last thing we want is people who will pity us in our suffering or to be around people who, when they see us suffering, they actually feel better about their own lives. Um, they feel like, yeah, your life, the purpose of your life that are suffering is only to serve as a warning to me not to do that or to go in that direction. Thank you for that, that uh, insight there. Uh, we, we don't need that. And, and worse, we don't want to be around people who are actually glad that we're suffering. And those people exist when you're suffering. And that's the unfortunate reality of fallen human community. We've had too many interactions with people who treat us in that way when we're suffering. At the same time, when we're celebrating and good things are happening, what we don't want is to be around people who are not happy for us when we're celebrating. Not everyone is happy for you when you have something to celebrate. Some people, they are jealous of you. Other people, they hear of your uh, successes and they want to compete against you. And this is fallen human community. This is probably what's normal out there in the world. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The church, to be a transformative community needs to be a place where when we see suffering with people, we come alongside of them. And instead of rejecting them, instead of um, just saying, I want to learn from your suffering or being glad that people are suffering, that we embrace them in love, that we empathize with them, that we help them, that we pray for them, that we serve them, that we identify with their suffering, that we we help bear their burden both emotionally and spiritually and even physically. This is who the church should be. And you can't be the church if you're not here. And there are people that are suffering during the coronavirus. There are people who are just suffering because of life. 
And what's going to happen to them if the ear needs the eye? You know, um, someone needs someone to just be heard and to see them. And we can be that community, City Bible Church. We can be the most loving community to those who are suffering. There are many people in our church that are suffering during this time. What would our church look like if we all just called each other up and said, hey, how can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, I'm here to listen. And I think uh, that would be one of the greatest testaments to the transformative community that Jesus brought together. And we need to be the type of community that can celebrate with those who are celebrating. We need to celebrate well when good things are happening in people's lives. I have a friend named Chris Jones, and uh, he's a friend that I've known for um, over 10 years. And he's a very close friend of mine. And he's one of these guys in my life that I feel like I can talk to him and we can laugh. I can share something good that's going on. And he will genuinely celebrate with me. And when something is going on in his life that is good, I can genuinely celebrate with him. And that's a very good friendship as brothers in Christ to have that um, sometimes it's rare to find people who will celebrate with you. You can find people who will suffer along with you, but to truly find people that will celebrate with you and not see it as a reflection on their life, whether it's better or worse, um, that's a beautiful thing, but that should be commonplace in the body of Christ. And I I believe God wants us to be those people. Um, In conclusion today, the most important community that you can be a part of is not a virtual community. It's not a broken community. It's not a community that's been lost or in some way defiled by the world. It's not a community of one yourself. The most important community you can be a part of church is where the Holy Spirit is manifested through the body of Christ. This is the best type of community. That's where the Spirit of God is. That is where you can be healed. That is where you can find goodness and righteousness. Um, I Just the other week, you know, our family was having a difficult time on the way to church. We weren't getting along. And as soon as we got to church, we felt better because we were with the body of Christ. We had some people pray, and everything was better after that. Um, there was a couple that was part of our married group uh, this couple weeks ago, and they came late to the group, and they said, you know, we're really glad that we came anyway onto, onto this Zoom meeting. Uh, we feel so much better right now. And the husband had his arm around his wife, and that was the sanctifying influence of the body of Christ, and because that's where the Holy Spirit is. And each one of us has a responsibility to find the unique work that God has for you to do, and to be part of, and to bear fruit through that, and to see God's kingdom advance as you serve according to the spiritual gifts that he has given to you. The church can come together and provide healing and goodness for one another. The most important type of community, however, that is transformative in this world is the community that comes between people and God. It's not just being part of a church that brings about change. It is primarily about are you in community with God? And some of us, we've kind of taken a hiatus from that during this time. Uh, As I've mentioned before, my mother... Um, who I love dearly, Uh, she has had two strokes in her life, and she's been incapacitated for the past seven years. 
and she's in her uh, mid-80s now, and we have her in a group home. And because of the pandemic and, and because she requires 24-7 care, you know, I can't, I can't be there. And it just, I was thinking about this the other day, I reminded, you know, at the end of life, uh, there really is not going to be a community of people at the very end. Um, my mother's going to die on her own, and the community that she lived in and served in with her family, with her church, they're not going to be in that bedroom with her when she breathes her last breath. The most important community you need to have is communion with God. Do you have that? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, he said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved for your confession and your belief sanctify you. They justify you uh, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Have you done that? Have you professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you believed that he has risen from the dead to give you life, to give you forgiveness, to give you righteousness, to save you from an eternity in hell, to bring you into an eternity of communion with him and his saints in heaven? Have you made that profession of faith to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Do that today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And if that is the desire of your heart, or maybe if you're out there and uh, you've been away from church for a while, um, this is a message for you that God wants you to, to come back to him and come back to his people so that he can bless you and strengthen you and heal you and use you um, in amazing ways. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for any here who have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. May they have community with you. May they give their hearts to you. May they give their lives to you. May they seek your forgiveness for their sins so that you may heal them and the Holy Spirit of Jesus would come into their life to give them life and salvation and an eternity with you and your people. May they confess to be your followers, Lord. Do that now if you've never done that. May they believe in their hearts that you have risen from the dead. Your son has risen from the dead. Believe that, and the Bible says you will be saved. And for any of us else out there, Lord, who have been away from the body of Christ and the church, uh, may we not be like the man in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, who isolates himself and breaks out against all sound judgment that God has given because he wants to live his own life. Uh, may we recognize that, Lord, that some of us may have broken out against your sound judgment to isolate ourselves. And we need to be part of the church for ourselves and for you and for others. And I pray you bring that conviction upon people. And I pray you bring that encouragement of what could be and what was lost and what could be again, Lord. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.